One of the marks of the type of leaders that we want to develop is the leader who perseveringly hopes in Christ. We want to develop students who know who they are. We want to lead students to an awareness of their personal leadership strengths and weaknesses. Converge students are young women and men that do not stand alone. They're not afraid to engage in the consistently changing landscape of culture, bring their values to bear upon public life and the professional world. In Converge, we invite our students to pursue wisdom. Brought to you by Converge, this is Beyond Qualified. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Hello, Converge. This is Kate. This is Chris. And we are back, excited to host today's episode of Beyond Qualified. And we are sitting down with Paul Stanton and Sheldon Farrington to talk about their workshop, Advocating for Orientation in a Disoriented World. Yeah, so Sheldon and Paul do not need much of an introduction because you know them well by now, but it has been a while since the four of us have sat down together on the show. We obviously started the intro episode together. So by means of catching up with you guys, tell me what are some of your quarantine hobbies? What have you been doing to keep busy these days? So normally during the school year, I am not much of a binge watcher, let alone just watching Mm. TV at all. But I have picked up a habit of watching Suits, (laughs) which I wouldn't recommend in terms of the moral clarity of the episodes as they unfold. Mm. But it very much so has captured my attention. And I found myself really like evaluating uh, even some of the the presuppositions that Mm. I have about life and justice and what it means to win. Um, as I watch episode after episode. And mm-hmm. Amazon really keeps me connected to it. Mm-hmm. Over the last several days, I've watched uh, probably three seasons. Oh, wow. Dang, that's really quick. We, me and Hannah, have gotten into Gilmore Girls. So uh, I feel the exact same equally way. Equally as important. <laughs> 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 the exact same way. I would like the Converge leaders to know I've actually caught Sheldon watching series. <laughs> uh, and, he is tr- and that is so true. He does not do that during during the regular semester. Um, for me, I would say it's been running, just getting out. That's been enjoyable. Uh, playing golf, too, with some friends. That's been enjoyable, and so, it's been beautiful. It's mm-hmm. a gift. What about you, Chris? I have been still doing a lot of bike riding. Solo bike riding now, so lonely. Mm-hmm. Also, Gilmore Girls, like I said. And, oh, oh we just bought a house, mm-hmm. so learning how to do all of that kind of adult things has been a little bit overwhelming even just figuring out how to get water turned on Ah, and mm. electricity and wi-fi and insurance and all that stuff has been a a process and i would say probably most actively spend my days just kind of making sure my wife doesn't get into tremendous amount of Facebook controversies. Also, a fun anecdote for you guys. I don't know if you remember, but our first episode when we were talking about things that we're interested Uh, in, I mentioned that I like, you know, hikes and whatever. And I made a little aside that uh, I'm going to try and get into these mountain bike races that, uh, well, not races, but mountain Mm -hmm. biking because Chris loves them. And Chris wrangled Paul Stanton and I and Andrew Pivots um, Mm -hmm. into a mountain bike ride the other day. And he prefaces it with saying- Just haven't gotten Sheldon. Yet. Yeah, we're going to work on Sheldon getting him to join us. But, you know, Chris takes us out there and says, oh, this is the easiest trail. You know, two hours later, me flipping over the bike and uh, Paul falling into a, a river. <laughs> who was, right into who a river. was cre- crispy clean Freak. up and just like crispy yeah. white. 
very clean that whole ride. Yeah. Until then. Until the very yeah. end. Until the very end. Yeah. I have newfound respect for trails like that. Mm-hmm. You're the man, Chris. Thank, Thank you. you. Doing that. That's tough stuff. No joke. It is tough day. stuff. Yeah, it was certainly an adventure. So the moral of the story is be careful what you say you would be interested in doing because someone might take you up on it. <laughs> Last week, Chris and Candace talked to us about why it matters that we disagree well and that we as believers in the current cultural context represent Christ well in the way that we artfully disagree. This week, we're moving deeper into the conversation about advocating for a point of view, applying this concept that has been developed over the past two weeks to real-life context. So as we start off, Sheldon and Paul, what do you mean when we say live in a disoriented world? That's a great question. So in our workshop, we use a really big concept to get across a really basic point, which boils down to the claim that we live in a disoriented world. At its core is the claim that we live in a world full of many, many starting points. So I'm a word nerd, right? And when you're talking about orientation, looking in the dictionary, you're really talking about a state of mind involving attention to or an awareness of time, place, and person. So think about the last time that you woke up after accidentally falling asleep, we've all been there. We're familiar with that initial panic as we you know, try to find our phones. Or And what we suggest in our workshop is that the world in which we live is characterized by false starting points mm-hmm. or false assumptions about time, place, person, and other things. We've lost track for a moment of our fundamental starting points, in that case, what time it is or where we are, which are reflected in urgent questions like, what does it mean to be human? What sources of pleasures are worth pursuing? Or what is true and good? And so from that basic starting point, we want to demonstrate that all of us in many ways have bought into these false starting points compared to that which is consistent with the purposes of God or the goodness of God and the redemption that God invites us to participate in through our life and leadership. And so functionally, the disorientation of our world is characterized by ideas that are not aligned with what we recognize as reality, what God has told us. And these ideas impact everything that we do, think, and believe. So then what does it mean for leaders, or rather what specific challenges are presented to leaders who are leading in this disoriented reality that you've just described? I think one of the basic challenges is that we just don't see, we just don't know that we're disoriented, which, like I said, can have profound implications for everything that we do. An example of that in Trevin Wax's book, This Is Our Time, is he talks about the smartphone and how the smartphone puts us in a position where we are told tacitly that the universe revolves around us because these devices are are designed to cater to all of our needs. They give us access to apps that enable us to curate views and, and ways of viewing the world's tailored to what our value sets are. And in his book, he asks the questions, what does the gospel have to say about that? And I would imagine that most people don't think about the story that their smartphones are telling them. They don't uh, interrogate what smartphones suggest about what time it is, where we are in our world. 
and what the fundamental questions of life are and how to answer them. And so I think one of the challenges in leadership is just identifying the way that we've gotten off course. Mm -hmm. We've believed some things to be true about reality that really are not true. To be able to recognize that, I think, is an imperative for leadership, and it's a challenge that we often face there. Mm -hmm. I think less complex than that is some of the, the ways that our disoriented world has told us alternative narratives about what it means to be human. And so often we can find ourselves prioritizing our personal success to the neglect of recognizing others' dignity and worth. And that can be very dangerous. And so whether it relates to God, ourselves, others, or the world and the work that we've been entrusted to, not recognizing the ways that we are maligned from God's propositions about what is true and good and beautiful is a real liability for leaders. Mm-hmm. And I think especially too, and especially as we discuss this in light of the Converge Leadership Program, we approach these conversations from a gospel point of view. And so leaders who are leading with that gospel-centered orientation, a specific challenge I imagine that you guys talk about in your workshop is the challenge of having that absolute orientation Mm -hmm. through the gospel in a culture and a context that is shouting so many different orientations and diminishing or discouraging religious affiliation. Mm -hmm. I imagine that that's probably an obstacle as well. Yes. I mean, what does it look like for a believer in this context to navigate the waters of this disoriented world? What does it look like to hold those convictions as a Christ-centered leader? In the Old Testament, actually, is the book of Daniel, how he, through either three or four pagan administrations being pulled out of Judah into captivity, really was able to stay centered on his God, centered on what he was called to do. I think it's really interesting. I want to go off beat a little bit, but I think it's really interesting. Looking at this title, this uh, this is our time in the subtitle, Everyday Myths in Light of the Gospel. I really think like myths are somewhat of a little bit of a, a hobby of mine. I'm a <laughs> bit of a nerd on myths, but it's, it's basically this kind of a structural story that formulates how one perceives the world around them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's a, it's a really interesting concept, you know, the biblical era to even now, like under, and I think it's really cool that from seemingly what he does in that book, understanding like how we, whether we realize it or not, are fundamentally living based off myths, not yeah. the idea of myth being a lie or a falsehood intrinsically, but myth being like this story that interesting. F- like fuels the way that we reflect our lives, usually in the form of a God, but anyway, but so when we think of these things as foundational aspects of our lives and directing stories and narratives and ideas that fuel where we go. And I like, I really, really like the idea of orientation being a starting point. Mm -hmm. So the gospel is like this singular orientating notion. How do we as leaders kind of use that in this culture? I think part of answering your question is definitely recognizing what the false starting points are Mm -hmm. so that you then begin to appropriate the the true starting point. So you have the gospel, but before we get to the gospel, we wake up in a world that are starting off wrong. Mm -hmm. And three ways that we talk about that in our workshop is recognizing uh, the consequences of the enlightenment. 
And the Enlightenment view of progress is this understanding that sees society as shedding the kind of superstitions, the the supernatural of the past and Mm -hmm. marching towards a a vision of of progress that's built upon human achievement, right? Mm -hmm. And so we kind of, without feeling it or seeing it, have agreed with secular society that says that morality comes from human reason, what makes sense to us, right? Mm -hmm. And already we begin to see how the biblical narrative confronts that. Uh, Israel, you know, Mm -hmm. whenever they did what was right in their own eyes, human reasoning went awry. You know, they departed from God's uh, standard and his expectations and their their relationship, what it meant to be the people of God. They departed from that, right? Mm -hmm. But the Enlightenment view is, is that that's a good thing. Trusting in human reason is a good thing. There's an opposition towards traditionalism. There's an opposition towards what has come in the past as we march towards this progressive future. There's a rejection of shared moral theory about what it means to be human, right? All as a a consequence of this sort of enlightenment uh, starting point. And then immediately we see how the gospel rescues us from that. The gospel actually tells us that the world in which we live in is not just the material. It's not just the flesh and blood because we have a transcendent Christ, the God of the universe, crossing the boundaries from the supernatural to the natural and really therein revealing what it means to be most human. Okay. Uh, Another aspect of a false starting point that we explore in our workshop is the consequence of the sexual revolution, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and the emergence of of uh, sexual autonomy and sexual relativism, which is really the view of history where the morality of previous generations is rejected Mm. in favor of a wide-ranging embrace of any and all consensual sexual pleasure. And that is a mark of progress and of tolerance and of the ideal, right? But the gospel does not tell us that giving a wind to our sexual desires is where life is found. In mm-hmm. fact, it invites us to a, a, a sort of sacred understanding of sexuality, a way to understand God, you mm-hmm. know? And so we see marriage as this portrait of this true narrative of God rescuing and reconciling his bride, the church, and inviting us into deep and intimate relationship. And uh, then a third and and final point of uh, criticism that we find with our current day in our society is this idea of individualism or expressive individualism, which is the view of life and history that sees a progressive line towards happiness found in pursuit of one's fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one's own identity, right? Mm -hmm. You be you, be true to yourself, uh, follow your heart. We scroll through social media and see those messages. False starting point because the storyline of the gospel doesn't say be true to yourself, Mm -hmm. but deny yourself, Mm -hmm. deny your life, Mm -hmm. uh, deny your identity. Your hope is hidden, not deep within yourself, but in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and Christ tells us who we are. Christ tells us who we're to be. Uh, Christ, who has forged a community, the church, throughout history, and was in the beginning forging a community of individuals for 
whom it is not to, good to be alone. And so individualism in that way is a lie that the gospel rescues us for. And so in leadership, we need to recognize that if we're to lead well, uh, lead people to live in light of what is true. Yeah. And we are so thankful that as believers, we have a wealth of instruction in the word of God to navigate these tricky waters that you've just described, these different false orientations that we see in our world. Scripture speaks very directly to, and, and I know that in you guys' workshop, you discussed the life of Daniel as a model for orientation. So talk to us a little bit about that. What do we see in the life of Daniel that offers us some hope and some instruction as we advocate? orientation in a disoriented world. Right. And even Daniel's name speaks to this. His, his name means God is my judge. And so beginning even by his name that was given to him, he's already oriented in that fashion of, hey, this calling is given to him on his life. And for those listening, Converge leaders, Daniel was very young, pulled into captivity. He was of nobility. He was pulled in chapter one, Daniel, into the Babylonian captivity, and he had to make a choice at the very beginning. Should I take the king's choice food or should I not? And Daniel chose obedience there. And throughout a whole theme that you're going to see here is Daniel prayed, he obeyed. But at the very beginning, he makes a crucial decision of he stands for his convictions. He stands for not taking the king's choice food. And if you think about it, that should remind us and Daniel, being a Hebrew, would have known this story as well, back to Genesis chapter 3, where they took the food that they should not have taken. So Daniel would have been well aware of that choice that he was going to make, but yet he chose obedience in that. And then you see him going into the second chapter when the king is asking for an interpretation of a dream, and they don't know what's going on. And in humility, Daniel addresses that and goes, hey, why, is, why are all the people of wisdom in this kingdom going to be slaughtered. And it even goes back to what he says in the 14th verse of chapter two. It says, and then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. Mm -hmm. And we heard uh, Dr. Pryor earlier in the beginning of the semester tell us and talk to us about the word prudence and how that was important. And you see Daniel here advocating for that. And he goes back and he prays with the three of his friends and he gives God praise for the answer that he's given him. He also does that. He does it in private, but he also does it in public. Mm -hmm. And so when he's brought back in front of the king, he gives God credit immediately. He gives God credit. He doesn't say, hey, this doesn't come from me. It comes from the God in whom I serve. And sometimes that can be difficult for us when we're in a disoriented world and we're around an environment that we just don't feel comfortable even saying, no, the Lord really blessed me in this way. I want to encourage you. We can do that and stand in conviction and still be free to do that. You move to the third chapter, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going through the fire, having to stand up and say, no, we won't bow down to the statue. We won't give in to that. And then you go to the fourth chapter where Nebuchadnezzar is being humbled in that chapter. And Daniel confronts him and says, hey, you need to be humbled. You need to strip away from your sin and be humbled. The king didn't listen, but eventually Nebuchadnezzar came around and repented of that. You move on to one of the most, the predominantly known chapter in Daniel into six. And you see Daniel is put in charge of this whole kingdom. He, he was a government official. He was a politician. We all wish that politicians were like <laughs> Daniel because uh, he was honest. And in the very beginning of that chapter, the only thing that those guys could find against Daniel was his devotion to his Lord, to Yahweh. And so they decided to attack him on that basis. Let that be said of us. And then eventually, as you see throughout that King Darius at this time, Nebuchadnezzar's off the scene. This is Darius now. He goes in and 
as they're getting ready to throw him into the lion's den, he's burdened by that because a decree was given that no other God could be paid petition to. And Daniel decides to continually pray to his God. And he does. And they turn him in for it. And you see just the influence that Daniel being this Hebrew had on this pagan king. By the way, Daniel served about three or four pagan kings. It's interesting that all of that, all of them turned to him. Daniel never turned to them. And we see just the faithfulness of God throughout all of it. And obviously, you know, the end of the story. He comes up out of that tomb in, and I'm stealing this from somebody. I think it might be N.T. Wright. I don't know. It might be Tim Keller. I don't A lot know. of good things come from him. Yeah, so. Yes, sir. So I can't remember who this is from. But in a picture of like Daniel coming out of that tomb is where we see Christ coming out of the tomb as well. Sent into the lion's den, obviously wanting to slaughter. But then he comes out. Because of the God whom he constantly served. Mm -hmm. And so to wrap all this together, why? Why bring up Daniel? Why is this important for us today? And it just shows you that we can stay oriented vertically and horizontally in this world today. Mm -hmm. We have so many things vying for our attention today that we can turn here, turn to the left, turn to the right, go this way, go that way. When Daniel gives us uh, an example of just how to stay oriented, how to stay connected to the Lord and still go throughout our daily lives and live in harmony and sometimes not so much harmony uh, with the world around us. And also it points to Christ later because later in the book, it actually prophesies about the becoming Messiah. And so we present Daniel to you. Um, we encourage you as converged leaders, just be that modern day Daniel. Be that modern day Daniel of stepping out, stepping into whatever context that you have and stand firm in what you believe, but do it in humility, yeah. as he did, and shine the light of Christ. It sounds like a major theme of your workshop is that to maintain a gospel-centered orientation in this world often means being in direct opposition mm -hmm. to the orientations that are presented to us by culture. So my question for you two is, what practical advice would you offer Converge students in light of the topic that you've presented here today, in light of the life of Daniel that you just shared with us? What are some practical tips and advice that you would offer as we seek to maintain that gospel orientation, knowing that it puts us in direct opposition with the world around us? There's so much that we could say there. Our workshop is full of practical tips. We kind of enumerate about eight things <laughs> that... Are, uh, should include those things. Exactly no eight things. <laughs> exactly eight things. No more, no less. <laughs> um, the first of which is recover a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. We've got to do our due diligence to see what thus saith the Lord, what God yeah. has revealed about life and its priorities. Our allegiance is to one God who created and ordered the world for his glory and for human flourishing according to his will. And we've got to build knowledge. We've got to found and ground our life on that truth. Yeah. We've got to uh, explore the Bible, recognize the fallen condition of our world and the answer that God gives. Mm -hmm. Because as Daniel led in a secular context with convictions built upon who God was and, and who God had set him apart to, we also must lead in that yeah. way. A second thing is to confront malign belief, right? Which is really an exercise of humility, which yeah. I think has been a theme of our the season thus far in the, the podcast. But this is an examination of your own personal assumptions against the biblical arc of the gospel. So continue to explore the application of the gospels to matter of life. Mm -hmm. Part of that sort of 
confrontation of malign belief is inviting your community to speak into, to challenge, to confront you on what's off, you know, mm-hmm. and being open to that. Yeah, another step would be cultivate unassailable character. What Daniel does in the sixth chapter again is the only thing that uh, the pagan people could find, the people of unbelief could find against Daniel was his commitment to the Lord. Mm-hmm. The only thing that they could find against him, it wasn't his government doings, it wasn't his, you know, his actions, whatever it was professionally, they couldn't find anything. Oh, he lied on this, or he cheated on that. They couldn't find that, but what they could go to was his commitment to the Lord. And when that sticks out like that, that means that must have been evident to the people around him. That must have been showed in and showed out, not in a bad way, but in a humble way of that. I would also say pray for favor and compassion, as we see also in the first chapter of Daniel, when he's going up asking and requesting not to take the king's choice food, and the Lord granted him favor and compassion. Mm -hmm. So we have to pray for that when we're amongst people that maybe your boss currently right now, as you're away from liberty, is Mm -hmm. not a believer. And you need to have favor and compassion before them. And I would just encourage you pray for that because we see it modeled in Scripture. And it's definitely for us today as well. Yeah. And I think one really, really important point of practical application that we urge students towards is studying the ideological influences of the day. I think that's something that's not really encouraged. That's not a <laughs> discipline that we have developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we we want to be people who mm-hmm. believing what is true based upon the gospel, the good news of Christ. We, we develop disciplines of analysis that will help us to evaluate our contemporary context yeah. and conceptions of time and progress that rival the biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. And even Daniel, right, when he and his Hebrew friends were carried away into Babylonian captivity, It says that God gave Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah learning and skill Mm. in all literature and wisdom. They were set in a cultural context different than the kingdom context they had been carried away from. And their success depended upon their study of the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, Mm. right? And the reality of the matter is that this uh, corpus of information that they were set to study included sign lists, word lists, paradigms, legal materials, all kinds of religious documents, fables, omen texts, including those about devils and evil spirits, astrological and mathematical texts, economic data, as well as historical uh, materials, according to Wiseman, a, a biblical scholar there. And so we recognize that the language and literature of the Babylonians would be the general body of knowledge known and studied in Babylon. Yet, they, they, they didn't study these things to conform them, but to recognize and challenge them as they sought to live faithfully. And I would say this too, we see that also in the life of Daniel, that Daniel was out and about. I mean, he was in the king's high court. He wasn't hiding in his ivory tower, uh, just divulging all of this information. He was out doing the work. And so as you do this, we want you to be just loose in the fact that you can have an orientation, but still interact and love and care Mm -hmm. and minister to people that aren't of your same uh, convictions and standards and still do that with humility. Yeah. And with all of this, just the high demand for obedience and the necessity of understanding others and having humility, Mm -hmm. I think that one of the marks of the type of leaders that we want to develop is the leader who perseveringly hopes in Christ. Yes. Mm. The God who was faithful in Daniel's time does not grow weak. 
Yeah. He will be faithful in our time, empowering people like you and me and our students to be his witnesses until Christ returns to establish his kingdom and make all things new. So we can't lose heart. Mm. You cannot lose heart. You have to hope in Christ. Here's a recap of today's episode with some practical takeaways that you can implement today. Sheldon reminded us today that the gospel doesn't tell us to be true to yourself, but to deny yourself. For your life, your identity, and your hope is in Christ alone. Today, consider the many influences of culture on your life and identify the ways in which you have been persuaded or pressured to deny scriptural wisdom in favor of going with the grain of the world. Be honest with yourself and with the Lord. Ask him to illuminate to you his word and help show you the areas of your life that need to be reoriented towards the gospel. Paul shared with us Daniel's story from the Bible, reminding us that Daniel was faced with a crucial decision at a very young age. Will I obey the Lord and stand for our gospel-centered orientation? Or will I surrender to the pressure of the orientation of the culture that I'm in? Today, write down a list of your convictions as a believer first and a leader second. Find biblical passages to support those convictions and ask the Lord for courage to stand firm in this disoriented world. Next week, Sheldon and I will be sitting down with our friends Michael Fromack and David Klaus discussing their workshop, Advocating for Others. I'm so looking forward to being with you all again. Join us next week on Beyond Qualified. Mm -hmm.